Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 218, Max Holloway versus Jose Aldo. And Shaq, Frankie pulled out, but Jose wants another crack. I mean, and rightfully so. I feel like this was the better option out of Cub, Lamas, uh, Ortega. And I feel like Aldo, he's the greatest featherweight of all time. He should get his rematch. And we got Francis and Overeem. I'm very, I'm looking forward to that fight a lot, man. I want to see if Francis is the real deal or if Overeem is going to you know, finesse him, and uh, it's going to be a good card. Man, also, we got Cejudo taking on Pettis, Gaethje versus Alvarez. It's a great card. But let's start on the prelims with Razak Al-Hassan versus Sabah Homasi. We got Razak. He's minus 245. The comeback on Sabah Homasi is plus 205. And let's get right down to business on this one, Shaq. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, initially, this was going to be a pass for me because, you know, I thought the line was going to be minus 300, minus 350, but that wasn't the case. And I was very impressed with Razak's last fight against Omari Akhmedov. I know he let a lot of people down, losing that decision, but, you know, I feel like a lot of people are under the assumption that he gassed out in that fight, and that's not the case at all. He fought a one of the most underrated guys in the division, Omari Akhmedov. And, I mean, if you look at the size of Omari in that fight, I mean, he was way bigger than Razak. And, Razak's huge, and Omari had to move up to 185 after the fight. That just shows you how uh, big Omari is, and Omari had so much more experience compared to him. Omari had already taken his L's in Razak, had, and it was time to take his L's. So now that he's got that out the way, you know, I feel like this is a favorable favorable matchup against Sabah. You know, Sabah, he's a tough guy, but let's not forget that. I mean, he lost to Carrington Banks, you know. Granted that Carrington Banks is a very good 155-er. He's a 155-er. He lost to Carrington Banks on, t on tough. And then uh, he uh, fought Jorge Patino in Titan. And I mean, some of those exchanges were real sloppy. Let's just say Jorge Patino caught him a couple times. And you know, the Tim Means fight, it was a one-sided bludgeoning. Tim took it easy on him. And I think that this is the fight where Sabah's style just plays into Razak's game. He can't take him down. I don't see him out striking him. I actually see Razak having the better card and I think Razak's going to put him out, you know, somewhere in the first or second round. At the worst case scenario, if this goes three rounds, if that guy that showed up and fought Omari, like how he did in that third round, comes to fight Sabah, I don't see Sabah uh, making it the distance. So did you, pl you put money on it? Yeah, I did. You know, I put, I got minus 230. I got uh, 4.6 units on it to win two, and uh, Razak's going to get the job done. Yeah, I know I hyped Razak up a lot his last fight, and he lost a split decision. It was what it was. It was just first L time. But listen, Vic called me last night, and he said, bet the house on Razak Al-Hassan. And I was like, I already did, brother, <laughs> you know, because I put five units at minus 230. I simply think this is a case where, you know, just like Rumble Johnson used to do when he would fight scrubs, he puts them out early, he handles them exactly how he's supposed to. I think that's what's going to happen here. There's a complete... And utter athleticism difference. I mean, with Razak, we're dealing with a guy who was a judo qualifier. You know, he's an Olympic level athlete, and he's been training with Johnny Hendricks for a very long time. And I'm not talking about, you know, Johnny Hendricks that's, you know, showing up after eating five cheeseburgers. I'm talking about the Johnny Hendricks that fought GSP. I'm talking about the Johnny Hendricks that beat Carlos Condit. That guy. That's the guy that Razak's been training with for years. And I know Omari Ahmedov took him down, but guess what? Razak got back up every single time. And Omari is so much bigger. You look at the size on Omari, there's a reason that he moved up to 185 and he's going to fight Marvin Vittori his next fight. But now with Sabah Homasi, Sabah's the guy you bring in, you know, to give someone a big win. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. And you look at Sabah's fight with Tim Means and, you know, you can excuse it because it's Tim Means. 
But then you say to yourself, okay, well, what about his fight right before Tim Means? One, you know, the fight that got him into the UFC. He goes in there with Jorge Patino and Shaq. Let me ask you something. How old is Jorge Patino? 45 years old. He went in there with a 45-year-old, and he struggled to get him out of there. Eventually, he did. It was like, wow, finally, Sabah, finally you got this guy out of there. But when you're struggling with a 44-year-old in there, and I don't care if that 44-year-old knocked out Jacare 20 years ago, which uh, actually did happen, by the way, Shaq. It's just one of those things where Sabah is simply not on this level. Not to mention the guy's been knocked out about four times. Five times if you count the amateur days, which I do count. So, you know, it is what it is. So, this, I think this will be his uh, fifth or sixth knockout loss. And uh, I think Razak's going to come out here and style on him. I put five units at minus 230, and I'm very excited for this opportunity. Now, next up, we got Felice Herrick. She's minus 140. The comeback on Courtney Casey is plus 120. Now, we unsuccessfully faded Felice Herrick last time against Justin Kish. You going to take your chances here again? Uh, no, not at all because, you know, prior to, you know, her tough career, I mean, that was pretty embarrassing on her part, that random Marcos loss. And, you know, she comes in against uh, Paige Renzan and, I mean, completely quit those last two rounds after winning the first and, then she took a you know a good two years off, got her levels right, you know, got an easy fight against Kylan Curran, took care of business. Then she gets matched up with uh, Alexa Grasso, which she was like a big underdog in that fight, and she beat her hands down. I mean, it was a good performance. It seems like she's got her mental thing figured out as of right now. You know what I'm saying? Because none of these chicks have been able to put her in a uh, a predicament where she starts questioning herself mentally, and you know. Hey, what can I say about her last fight against Keish? She she made Keish shit herself. I mean, she <laughs> she completely dominated Keish <laughs> in every aspect of the game. So, you know, it was a very good win. Uh, Courtney Casey, she's one of these chicks that is super tough. Like, this that's going to be the interesting thing about this fight because Courtney Casey gets in your face. Courtney Casey likes the slug. The thing with Courtney Casey is she reminds me a lot of, you know, certain guys that just ha always have to flop to their back, like... You know, in a pivotal, a pivotal moment of the fight, she'll find herself on the bag, especially her last fight against Aguilar. I mean, she won that fight off her bag just because, you know, Aguilar's so done and old. And, uh, you know, Courtney Casey was able to just land up kicks. But uh, I think Felice Hare gets this one done. I feel like this might be the last win of her little win streak. You know, she's riding the confidence. Um, I think she's better on the mat, on the feet. It's just a matter if she can deal with that early pressure, Casey, Casey and is she going to break mentally. Um, we'll see. But uh, I'm going to take Felice by 29-28 decision. It's a very interesting fight, and look, we faded Felice Herrick for a reason. It's just she was simply better than Justin Keish, but the reason why is because I feel like when things don't go Felice Herrick's way, she starts to question herself, and with Courtney Casey, you know, when you talk about these Hawaiian warriors, you're talking about people that don't back down, people that'll fight to the bitter end, and we're not talking about Kylan Curran here. Aside from her, when we talk about the real Hawaiian warriors, when you talk about the Max Holloways, when you talk about the Yancey Maderos, the Brad Tavares, all those fighters, they don't back down, and I think Courtney Casey possesses those same qualities. So I do think that Felice can get the better of the grappling exchanges early, but if she starts to slow down a little bit, if she starts to question herself, if Casey starts to land some big shots, don't be surprised if Courtney Casey comes out here and runs away with it late, you know, because she does possess those qualities. The reason I can't bet on it is because, like you said, man, she does tend to flop to her back from time to time, and when you're betting on someone, they're doing so good, and then they go to their back, it's like, oh my god. Just put it this way, she's gone for flying arm bars inside the cage before. And, uh, you know, lost fights that she was winning. Like, she was destroying uh, Joanne Calderwood, and then she went for a flying armbar, and it cost her the fight. So, 
you can't afford to bet on people that do things like that. But I do think if Courtney Casey puts it all together, I think she's got the capability of going out here and beating Felice. You know, she's actually not that MMA math matters, but she's finished people that have finished Felice Herrig. She finished Randa Marcos in the first round. Randa Marcos finished Felice Herrig in the first round. It, you know, that doesn't mean shit, but I'm just saying, man, don't count this girl Courtney Casey out. That being said, man, it's an interesting fight. I'm going to go with Courtney Casey by split decision. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got David Timor. He's minus 185. The comeback on Drakkar Close is plus 160. Now, both these guys were very impressive in their last outings. Who do you think continues their win streak? I think Tamar was slightly more impressive. You know, not just the Lando Venata fight. Uh, his fight with Jason Novelli. I mean, the butchering he put on him was just beautiful. And his fight before that against... um. Martin Svensson or whatever his name is. <laughs> you know, Tamor has got some really good striking, man, and I think he's uh, very underrated at uh, 155. His takedown defense seems good, but now he's going to fight the best the best guy in that aspect. You know, Jakar Close, he's one of these typical MMA lab fighters, likes to pin you up against the fence, likes to make it ugly, likes to tire you out, likes to throw the calf kick like Benson. And, you know, I thought his last fight was, you know, it was good. You know, the first two rounds, hey, he got in there with the case. You had a lot of hype at the time. A lot of guys would have folded up under that pressure except Jakar, and, you know, the first two rounds were good, but that third round, uh, those were some really sketchy moments in there, man. It seemed like he was almost trying to give the fight back to DeCasey. That's what, hence the split decision, even though it really wasn't a split. But he made it real sketchy at the end here. It's like he completely stopped fighting for whatever reason. And I know David Tamar will never do that. I think that fight with Lando Venato, you know, proves that. I mean, Lando Venata, yeah, Lando has bad cardio, but one thing you know about Lando Venata is he will not quit he will keep fighting for all three rounds no matter if he's gassed or not and I mean Tamor put a clinic on him the left body kick the left high the straight left the knees and in, um, in the clinch I mean I just feel like his game's more more diverse than Jakar if Jakar can take him down consistently which I don't think then props to Jakar so I'm gonna go with Tamor I'm actually say by finish actually oh interesting you know it's a great matchup I'm going with Tamor as well I'll tell you why man you know I, I felt like even though Drakkar went out there and beat a guy like DeCasey, and I know a lot of people are going to use that example, the difference between DeCasey and Timor is that DeCasey, you know, he's great with the flash, but Timor's got the fundamentals, and especially with his hands in the pocket. That's the, that's the big difference between him and DeCasey, and I think that in those pocket exchanges, you know, because Drakkar's the kind of guy, he likes to overwhelm you, he's super physical out there, he bullies guys. I don't think he's going to bully someone that's so much more technical and precise than him. Um, in David Timor, man, I think that Timor is actually going to pick him apart. I think the first round is going to be super close because that first round, man, Drakkar Close comes out like a bull. He might even take down David Timor in that first round. But don't forget, Lando Venata, you know, even though he didn't show up to college, he did qualify for D1 wrestling and he, uh, he got taken down by David Timor. So don't sleep on the grappling of Timor. I just think that when Drakkar Close uh, starts gassing out, that's when Timor is going to take over, pick him apart. I'm going to say 29-28 unanimous decision. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Alex Cowboy Oliveira. He's minus 240. The comeback on Yancey Medeiros is plus 200. Another tough fight. You know, Alex Cowboy, what can I say about that guy? Wins over Tim Means, wins over uh, Ryan LaFleur, KO face-planted Ryan LaFleur. You know, LaFleur's only loss before that was against uh, Damian Maya. And, uh, you know, Yancey, he's one of these guys that, you know, when you fade him, you got to be very fucking careful because, you know, the guy's Hawaiian, you know, the guy won't, he will definitely not quit. I mean, we saw even, you know, the Dustin Poirier fight at 155, even though he missed weight by like three and a half pounds, 
it's not like Dustin, you know, knocked him out cold. It was a standing TKO's accumulation because Yancey wouldn't quit. And then we even saw that again when he fought uh, Tr Francisco Trinado. I mean, Trinado butchered him for two rounds, and in that third round, he pulls off this comeback, drops uh, Master Induba, and, you know, it turns out being fight of the night. And that's the type of heart Yancey Medeiros has. Alex Oliveira has one of the most devastating clinch games in the business, though, those knees against the fence. Um, but historically... He loses by submission, and Yancey Medeiros likes to pull off these, you know, bulldog chokes, these darts chokes, these darts chokes, these guillotines, and uh, he's got to be very careful. I think uh, Alex Cowboy and him on the feet, it's a very interesting matchup because I feel like Yancey, you know, has a tendency to let certain things happen just because he's such a warrior and he wants to prove a point, and you know, if Alex engages in him in that game for too long... Uh, he might lose. I think Alex should, you know, just play this thing safe, not get into any type of a dick measuring contest or anything like that, and just, you know, tie him up and uh, win the decision, and I think he will. It's so intriguing because Alex Oliveira's got one of the nastiest clinch games in the UFC, and I'm not talking about, you know, pitting someone up against the fence and boring the, cloud, the crowd to sleep. I'm talking about landing the most devastating knees to the body that you've ever seen. And, you know, when people fight Alex Cowboy, they don't come back the same. I mean, you remember that time he retired James Mutasri. You remember that time we never heard from KJ Nunes ever again. You remember that time when Gilbert Burns, uh, you know, he got the shit being out of him, got a fluke submission, and then ever since then, the guy's been a complete punching bag. So the only guy that's ever came back the same after fighting Alex Cowboy was the other Cowboy, and that was simply first L time for Alex Oliveira. I know officially the first L was Gilbert Burns, but, you know, we all know that was a fluke. We all know that Alex Oliveira was beating the living shit out of that guy, and uh, he got caught. It, it was what it was. Aside from that, man, people uh, come back looking very old after they fight Alex Cowboy. I mean, look at Tim Means, man. He was never the same ever again, man. Now he's getting outstruck by grinders. So it's just one of those things where Yancey's been in so many wars. He's so tough. He's such a Hawaiian warrior. He has that aloha spirit. And, you know, his fight with Francisco Trinaldo, I mean, oh, my God. You know, you, you stand up and you clap when you watch a fight like that. But there's a reason he went up to 170. The weight cuts were getting too tough. And the guy's never officially been knocked out, by the way. You know, that fight with Poirier was a standing TKO. That's the kind of chin, that's the kind of heart that Yancey Medeiros has. You know, you, you literally have to put this guy out to finish him. That, that's the bottom line. I mean, when Jim Miller beat him, and Yancey wasn't tapping. I'll tell you that right now. If Alex Oliveira doesn't mind his P's and Q's, if he shoots a sloppy takedown, do not be surprised if Yancey Medeiros snatches that neck. Also, he's got a very good long style, nice spinning kicks. He'll batter guys, but the thing with, with Alex Cowboy is he's so physical in that clinch, and guys can't believe you know the presence that and the force that Alex brings with those knees to the body. I mean, those knees are the most devastating thing I've seen in a very long time, and I think even the guy as tough as Yancey Medeiros could fall victim to that that game that Alex Cowboy brings to the table, man, because no one else has a clinch game like Alex Cowboy right now. And I do think that he's going to be able to break down Yancey Medeiros along the way and win a decision. But he has to be super careful here, man, because one mistake on a guy like Yancey, Yancey's an opportunist. Yancey will finish a fight at the drop of a hat. So I understand when you see a plus 200 next to a guy like Yancey Medeiros, I completely understand why you'd be tempted to take the shot, and I don't fault anyone for doing that. I just simply think that Alex Oliveira is too much of a physical presence in this spot, and I think that he'll win the decision. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got Paul the Irish Dragon Felder. He's minus 135. He's coming off the commentating duties, and he's taking on Charles Dubronx Oliveira, who's plus 115. 
It's a great fight. You know, Charles looked good his last fight, and Felder looked good his last fight. Um, Felder, I mean, what can I say about that guy? You know, his UFC debut against Jason Sago. That was a good performance, man. You know, I thought that was a very good fight. So, you know, I told myself, let's keep an eye on on uh, Paul Felder. Then he gets the fight with Danny Castillo. You know, I, I don't even think I was betting or if I was at the time. But, you know, I actually did pick him to win that fight because, you know, you, you fade Castillo every fight. And uh, he looked amazing in that fight. To be honest, I thought he was going to be a world champion after that fight. I thought that performance was literally perfect. I mean, Castillo didn't land a single strike. Felder played with him from the opening bell, and he toyed with him, and he knocked him out stiff. And then, you know, he gets... uh, what do you fight after? Edson. Edson, yeah. Then he gets the uh, Edson fight, which was an, another great fight. You know, he he just wasn't ready at the time. Edson edged it out, and, you know, it is what it is. So I didn't write him off. I was like, okay, I'm going to come back and bet him against, you know, old-ass Ross Pearson. And uh, turns out Paul Felder got old overnight, you know? Watching that fight, I was like, is this a joke? Like, what happened What happened to the, to the guy that fought Edson and... Danny Castillo was like he aged 25 years, and um, he ended up losing that fight, so I was just like, man, whatever, and then he fights Crickshank after that, it was a loser-goes-home fight, and uh, let's not forget the guy lost the first two rounds against Crickshank as well, but luckily, you know, Crickshank quit, which, you know, he was known for, and Felder got the job done, and then his career ever since then has been so hot and cold, I mean, I bet this guy to finish Josh Berkman, you know, and he can't even do that, and then, you know, he... uh, he almost, he arguably lost that fight, if we're being honest as well. Then uh, he fought Trinaldo. It just, this guy's very hot and cold. Just put it, he's not very reliable in terms of betting wise. And uh, Charles Oliveira, he's not very reliable either, man. This is the definition of a pass fight because Charles, when you're putting money on a fight, at least you want to go in there like, I know my guy's going to survive the three rounds or I know my guy's got a good chin. I know my guy won't, can, quit. won't quit. You know what I'm saying? And Charles Oliveira, you have to question these things about him. If this fight starts, if he starts eating big body kicks, big check knees to the body, what's going to happen? I don't know. I just can't completely vouch for him and say that he's going to eat him for three rounds. I can't, you know, and I can't trust Paul Felder either. So, you know, I feel like if I was actually going to be on a side in this fight, if, if anyone was betting Felder, I'd, I would actually prefer to be in that situation because the line is very low. And like I said, we question Charles Oliveira's toughness. But the way Charles looked against Will Brooks, I know it's Will Brooks. I know Will Brooks doesn't win UFC fights. I know Will Brooks is a jobber. But, uh, I mean, that takedown, I mean, he straight up took him down faster than anyone else did. So uh, that performance was very good. And, um I'm going to go with uh, Paul Felder in this one, but it's a pass fight for me. Man, talk about, you know, two guys with so much talent and potential that always let you down. You know, with Paul Felder, when he beat Danny Castillo, I was like, oh my God, this guy is a future world champion. Like you said, that was the most perfect performance. The dude kicks like a mule. He's got a big striking arsenal. But the issue is with these guys like Paul Felder, it's almost like Juban in the sense where, you know, they got started in their early 30s. And now that they're in their mid to late 30s, you know, in their mid 30s, now that they're, you know, around that age, you know, there's a reason they're not developing into the the fighters that we thought they'd be, man, because they got into the sport way too late. Now, it's different issues with Juban than it is with uh, with Felder. You know, with Juban, it's a chin issue. With Felder, it's a not pulling the trigger issue. So, you know, you just have to, if you're putting money on Felder, you have to hope and pray like, Paul, just please show up. Just please kick this guy in the body and he'll go down. But with Dubronx, man, 
when you count out a guy like Dubronx, that's when he dangles off your neck and has one of the most impressive uh, submissions in UFC history. And he's known for submitting guys that have never been submitted. You know, guys like Miles Jury, guys like Hatsu Hiyoki, all these guys that he taps out, guys like Will Brooks. At the time, he had never been tapped out. Guy, All these guys... I've never been tapped out at the time. And Charles Dubronx, there's always a first for everything when he's fighting. But, man, on the flip side of that, he'll also fake knockout losses. Like, you remember the Cub Swanson fight? He got hit with a right hand. And then, you know, five seconds later, he was like, check, please. And, you know, against uh, Max Holloway, he faked a rib injury. You know, people want to give me shit for saying that. Okay, well, how come two days later on UFC Tonight, they were like, well, it turns out that uh, he was perfectly fine. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, don't be surprised if, uh, you know, if Charles doesn't like how things are going, then he decides to find his way out. That being said, you know, and I hate saying someone's due for this or due for that because that really makes no sense whatsoever, but let's be honest, Paul Felder is due to drop the ball again, and, and I think he will drop the ball here. I mean, I, I think that, you know, he might land a body kick or two on Charles Oliveira. I don't think that's going to automatically put him down. I think there is a myth that, you know, Charles is a little bit weak to the body because, I mean, when has he ever been stopped with a body shot? But by Cowboy a long-ass time ago, look, a perfectly shot, time shot to the liver. I don't care who you are. It is what it is. But it's not like it's a consistent thing like like Matt Brown or Cowboy Cerrone. It was a one-time thing. So, you know, if he can eat these body kicks and survive, then awesome. But bottom line here, I think that he will be able to take down Paul Felder. I think he will be able to dangle on that neck. And I think he's going to tap him out. I'm personally passing because both of these guys are complete flakes. You can't trust either guy from a betting perspective. But from a fan perspective, they're both fun as hell to watch. And I'm going to go with Dubronx here. Main card time. We got Tisha Torres. She's minus 245, and the comeback on Michelle Watterson is plus 205. Another great fight, you know, opening up that main card. Tisha Torres, one of the most reliable chicks in terms of betting-wise. I mean, generally, even at minus 245, you generally don't see that next to Tisha Torres' name. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, when you play Tisha Torres, ever since, man, it's always minus 5, minus 4. Her last fight against Juliana Lima I had to parlay it at minus 385. Um, and that's the type of line. And now you're getting minus 245. You know, I got minus 130. You know, I did uh, 2.6 units on it straight to win two. And uh, I think Tisha gets the job done here. If we look at Michelle Watterson's history, she's been to decision two times in her career. One, she won a split decision. And the other one, she uh, she lost She lost a decision. She's been knocked out before. She's been finished. And like I said, she generally has to have a quick finish to win these fights. And historically, if you slowly push her, if you slowly break her down, she'll quit eventually. And it, it is what it is. I think she's a nice girl. I think I think she's f- somewhat skilled, but I just don't think she's on Tisha Torres's level in any aspect. All she has is a sidekick, that little Jackson's kick to the uh, leg that John Jones likes to throw, and a head and arm throw. And we already saw what happens if you try to head and arm throw Tisha Torres in her last two fights. Tisha Torres, when Beck Rawlings tried to do it, she took her back, and we just saw what uh, Lima tri- almost tried to do it, and we saw what happened. She got finished. Those are the things that work against jobbers like Paige Van Sant and Angela Magana and, you know, Tiburcio, and not to mention she lost to Tiburcio because Tiburcio was tough and let her know that, hey, I'm going to be here for the duration of this five rounds. And Michelle Watterson got her eyes swelled up, and you know, she was like, oh, fuck, like, why can't I knock her out? Why can't I sub her? And what happened? She ended up quitting. She ended up tapping that match, just like her last fight. And Tisha Torres, I just know, will never do that. To beat Tisha Torres, you got to be the champion. Who else beat her? You know what I'm saying? I don't care about the tough fights because that environment's different. That environment, she doesn't have her real coaches with her. I feel like she strikes me as the 
a chick that needs to have her own people around her, and she she wasn't in that situation, and she had to switch teams from from Team Melendez to Pettis. And it was a lot of shit going on. I, I just feel like long term betting Tisha Torres always pays out. We have the we have the way better cardio. Tisha's a cardio freak. The more volume on the feet, the more diversity. We got better sidekicks if we're being honest here. We got the wrestling advantage. If she wants to try to head and arm throw Tisha Torres, we'll go ahead and take that back and choke her out. So I got Tisha all day. You know, I wasn't even planning on betting this fight because I was expecting minus 300, but then I saw that minus 110, and it was minus 130 for Michelle Watterson, and of course I jumped on that minus 110. I put three units on it because Tisha Torres wins fights long term. I mean, she's 9-1, that's a 90% win rate, and the one fight she lost, I mean, against the champ Rose, uh, as far as I'm concerned, she won that fight. I mean, it was Rose that got her knees buckled, so let's just be honest about that. And look, Michelle Watterson, I know I bet her last fight against Rose. I know that was a terrible pick, but that was more so me being like, you know, I, I have this thing with Rose where I question her mentality. And I know she just beat Joanna and all this, but I, I still question her mentality and she will be faded very soon. But as far as this matchup is concerned, Tisha's simply better everywhere. All Michelle Watterson has is a sidekick, a same side punch as the sidekick, and a head and arm throw. And if you think that's going to work against Tisha Torres, you got another thing coming because Tisha Torres is also a lifelong martial artist, except her game has evolved, whereas Michelle Watterson's game has not evolved. It's been the same thing for however long. And also, Michelle Watterson, let's be honest, she's an atom weight. She's a 105er because I know people like to talk about Oh, tiny tornado Tisha, she's going to be too small. I'll tell you what, she's going to be the bigger lady in this contest. And uh, look, I think she's going to pick apart Michelle Watterson. There is a chance for a finish, but you know what's interesting about Michelle Watterson is she's not known for winning decisions. And, you know, from a fan standpoint, you're like, oh, she's so exciting. But from a betting standpoint, especially in women's MMA, you need a stable of fighters that you can rely on to win that decision. Tisha Torres is that fighter. And finally, I get to bet on her because it was minus 110. Now I understand, you know... Part of betting on minus 110 means you're going to move that line. Now it's minus 245. Now it's parlay range. And look, I mean, it's so much less value than what I got that I don't I don't uh, blame you for passing. But if you feel like parlaying it, be my guest. Just make sure your second leg is a reliable one. And I'm going to go with Tisha Torres here, as you already know. Now here we go. The war of the century. Justin Gaethje is minus 185, and he's taking on the underground king, Eddie Alvarez, who's plus 160. Another great fight. Justin Gaethje undefeated. And we know that uh, being undefeated in this game just means you haven't fought the right guys yet, if we're being honest here. You know, everyone at lightweight, you you know, you go down the list. They've all gotten knocked out or embarrassed on national TV. I mean... And Khabib lost to the scale for all you fucking nut-huggers. And, and, and trust me, Khabib's time is coming. There will be there will be a time where Khabib gets knocked out or embarrassed on national TV. It is what it is. I mean, we go from the list from McGregor... Uh, uh, Eddie Alvarez, Tony, Tony uh, Poye, uh, Vic, Benil, everyone, Dunham, Kiesa, everyone's been embarrassed in that top 15. Kevin Lee, it happens. And Gaethje's time is coming, in my opinion. Look, I'll, I'll, I see a lot of people just... When you when you bet on this type of fight, you already know what you're getting into. You're getting into a dick measuring contest. You're, these two are going to figure out who's the better man. And, you know, I feel like when you bet on a fight like that, it's just so risky, man. That's why I have to pass on this because it's like, why would I sit there and just bet on, you know, I, my pick is Eddie Alvarez, by the way. Why would I, why would I just bet on Eddie and just know that type of fight they're getting into when I could bet a much safer fight where we can stick to a game plan, where we can, where we can, you know, just 
cruise to a dis easy decision one without taking the type of damage that these two are going to take. Gaethje, betting, putting so much money on a guy like that, especially undefeated, and like I just mentioned earlier, these guys don't say undefeated for too long. Everyone that's undefeated is going to lose at some point. And, uh, the way he fights, man, I mean, granted, he generally breaks guys, but let's not act like Michael Johnson hasn't broke before, you know, I know he's got some of the best wins in lightweight history, but, I mean, he's got 30 fights, and he's lost half of them, and, uh, and he's quit, like, what, seven, eight times before, I mean, it, it, it was a good win, but let's not forget that he got wobbled, like, a hundred million times, and he's been getting wobbled, this ain't the first time he's been wobbled, guy got rocked by Firmino, Buscape, and, uh, World Series, who's a jiu-jitsu guy. Guy got rocked by Baboon Palomino. I mean... Who's a 45 Who's a 45 rig. The guy gets rocked a lot, and it's like, how many times can he get away? I know he's got these leg kicks that... But one of these days, somebody's going to knock him out before he can get that even going, man. I mean, the guy literally comes out there to get hit and just drown you, and you can't get away with that forever. I know everyone's just buying into the hype where he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again because of his last performance. And that's just not the case. I, don't, I think Eddie's going to get this one, man. Historically, when Eddie Alvarez engages in these type of firefights, he wins. You know, the McGregor one I don't consider a firefight because McGregor's technical. And I feel like Eddie's been having such, you know, trouble lately. Not even really trouble. I mean, he lost one fight. But I feel like because these guys like Poirier, these guys like McGregor, these guys like... You know, these guys know how to fight technically in the midst of a brawl, as where Gaethje is just plodding forward with the basic shell up, eating shots, and just trying to drown you. And I feel like the openings are going to be there for Eddie. Granted, it, it's up to him to survive the low kicks. It's up to him to survive Gaethje's will. And uh, I think Eddie's the type of guy that can. But uh, I feel like in terms of his last few opponents, all those guys know how to fight technically in the midst of a brawl, like Rafael, like McGregor, like... Anthony Pettis, like uh, Poye, these guys know how to fight technically and, you know, slip punches and land as where Gaethje is there to eat punches. So, you know, we're going to see what's going to happen on passing just because, like I mentioned earlier, the type of fight that it's going to be. I would not be shocked if Gaethje drowned him again. But like I said, be very careful betting this guy because his time is coming. Like I said, everyone at lightweight has either been knocked out or completely embarrassed on national TV and his time's coming. It's no different. He's not a god. He's not different than the rest of these guys. If you bet on this fight, get ready to age a thousand years because this is going to be the sweat of the century. And I see people, you know, betting a thousand dollars on Justin Gaethje. I mean, how could you feel confident putting that kind of money down when you know exactly what kind of fight this is going to be? Like when, when I put that kind of money down, I want to, you know, for a decision, you know, yeah. For example, like Yan Zonan last week, that that was a big bet, you know, to beat Colin Curran. Like I, I don't have to risk. I don't have to sweat her, you know brawling wildly <laughs> and you know getting rocked a like, hundred million bet, times you bet a thousand dollars on the type of fights like that you know like randy brown and mickey where it's just a complete mismatch you bet them you bet the, mis yeah, you bet the mismatches this is not a mismatch in any sense of the imagination the hands on and a lot of people didn't know that was a mismatch we had a, a big advantage on the feet and uh this is not that type you can't tell me one real area Gaethje has an advantage in so it's one of these situations where, you know, both guys are very prone to getting knocked out. Even though Gaethje's never been knocked out and Eddie's been knocked out, don't let that don't let that fool you because that first knockout loss is right around the corner for Justin Gaethje. It's just a matter of is it going to be this Saturday? Is it going to be his next fight? Is it going to be in three fights? I really don't know. But you know, I feel like the fact that he's so exciting blinds people to the flaws in his game. The dude's getting tagged up every single fight, not just against Michael Johnson. What about against Luis Firmino? 
What about against Luis Palomino? Like, what about a uh, cop? <laughs> what about against uh, Brian Cobb? You know what I'm saying, Melvin. man? Melvin Gallardi went to a split decision with. Like, he's been fighting a bunch of bums on the regional scene. Now he's in the UFC, and he beat a guy that's one and four in his last five fights. And now he's fighting the underground king. It's going to be super intriguing because you don't often see Eddie Alvarez lose a brawl. When Eddie Alvarez loses fights, you know, for example, the McGregor fight, McGregor's a very technical guy. The Dustin Poirier fight, even though Dustin was lighting him up and Dustin was fighting technical, uh, someone got knocked out in that fight and it wasn't Eddie. Let's just uh, leave it at that. And Dustin's one of my all-time favorite fighters, but the reality of that fight is if that was in pride rules, Eddie would have won the fight, but it wasn't, so it was a no contest, even though it should have been a DQ win for, for Dustin, but it was what it was. It just showed you that you can hit Eddie with the kitchen sink, and the dude's going to still try to come back, but you can say the same things about Justin Gaethje. So from a betting perspective, I think it's dog or pass because you know this is going to be a firefight. You know this is going to be the war of the century, and historically speaking, Eddie Alvarez does good in the brawls. You look at the Michael Chandler fight. You look at the Rafael Dos Anjos fight. I mean, one doesn't simply go out there and knock out Rafael Dos Anjos, and you know, I got a theory about why Rafael didn't go, you know, down on his back, out cold, is because of that titanium jaw. You saw Glayson Tebow rock him. He did the chicken dance. You saw Anthony Showtime Pettis land a clean shin to chin. And then you saw uh, Eddie Alvarez land that death punch, and Rafael still won't go down. That's just that. That's credit to that titanium jaw. And we're going to be talking about that titanium jaw when he fights Robbie. But that being said, man, I don't believe Justin Gaethje has the power to knock out Eddie Alvarez with one punch. I think if he finishes Eddie, it has to be an accumulation because that's what Justin Gaethje is known for. He's not known for going out there and one-hitter quitting guys like uh, Anthony Rumble used to do. What he's known for is the volume of his attack. Now, here's the one Here's the one reason that I'm not going to bet Eddie Alvarez because when he lost his UFC debut, it was the exact same game plan that Justin Gaethje is looking to employ, which is break your opponent down with leg kicks. And Eddie Alvarez had no answer for the leg kicks in that fight. And I'm not exactly uh, convinced he's going to have an answer for the leg kicks in this fight. But at the same time, you know Justin Gaethje is going to get wobbled about 100 times here. Is this finally going to be the time where he goes down? That's the hardest thing for me to predict. So from a betting perspective, it's Eddie or pass. But for, but for a pick, I'm going to say Justin Gaethje breaks him down with the leg kicks. Now next up... Things are about to get really interesting. Henry Cejudo, he's minus 280. The comeback on Sergio Pettis is plus 240. Now, Shaq, we both bet on uh, Sergio when he was plus 320 the first time. Now we're, uh, you know, missing about 80 cents of value. But still, when you see a plus 240 next to someone of Sergio's name, I do feel as if he's being disrespected. Of course he's being disrespected. And, you know... Look, Henry Cejudo's your top. He's a top three flyweight. The guy's a tank. I mean, the guy's very aggressive. He's tenacious. I know he won't quit. He comes forward. He hits very hard. Olympic gold medalist. You know, he, it is what it is. But you know, everyone hyping up this performance against Wilson Hayes like it was, like it was just like the next coming of God is a joke to me because I mean, when you really look at it, he was lying like minus six hundred in that fight. For for a fucking reason, he's fighting Wilson Hayes. Now look, Wilson Hayes is my boy. Wilson Hayes, I like Wilson Hayes. He he's a he's a he's a nice guy. He's a top ten flyweight. But I mean, what's his skill set, Dan? Jujitsu. He's a jujitsu guy. What's Wilson Hayes known for? Being on the feet. Shitty. 
chinny. chinny. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. The guy's chinny. You know, he when he can, how does he win fights? He wins fights by taking guys down and taking their backs. Let's not forget Sasaki rocked him. Let's not forget Yuri Alcantara rocked him. Let's not forget Joby Sanchez rocked him with a head kick and had him dancing all over the place. Eduardo Dantas. Eduardo Dantas. The guy's been wobbled and hurt on the feet several times. Let's not forget he barely scraped out Menjavar back in the day in his debut either. You know what I'm saying? That's a favorable matchup for Cejudo. What is what is Wilson Hayes going to do? Take him down? What is he going to do? Outstrike him? Well, is he going to do tie him up for three rounds and win, win a clinch fest? Uh, that's why he was lying minus 500. I mean, what everyone's like, oh, my God, that performance was amazing. That, his stance. Uh, oh my. <laughs> what is he going to come out? Is he going to come out karate against Sergio? I mean, if he does, by all means, let's see it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying Henry's a bad fighter. He did what he had to do. He went out there and treated Wilson the way he was supposed to. But let's not forget about the fight before that. A lot of you are under the assumption that he got robbed against Benavidez. And I'll tell you right now, he didn't win shit of that fight. If we're being honest, if you rewatch that fight right now, besides the knockdown, it kind of reminds me of the Marlon Marais Dotson fight. Besides the early knockdown, Benavidez and Marlon Marais won everything in that fight. And real quick, make sure when you rewatch these Cejudo take fights the, that take the commentary, turn, take mute the, that volume so you don't have commentary. to hear you know Joe Even, Rogan see, on Cejudo. It doesn't dick. bother me because I know how to you know separate the two and whatnot. But fucking, he 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 whiffed on a whole bunch of shit. And you know I know Benavidez is the number one flyweight in the world, but Benavidez is getting up there in years, and he still and he still got Benavidez. Benavidez is very lucky that uh, he wasn't able to fight Ben 10 that night because uh, he wouldn't be the number one flyweight <laughs> you know in the world saying? no more is all I got to say. Wait, Ben 10 stepped in. Wait, Elliot stepped in for Benavidez? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you know what I'm saying? Ben 10 would have took care of uh, business there. But, you know, and and it's like he got Benavidez in a way that was like, it was it was kind of funny to me because everyone thinks he got robbed. And it's like, if you rewatch it, like, yeah, he comes forward. But he got ben, he, Benavidez did what he does to everyone. He stood on the outside, made him whiff, and landed the more effective shots. He couldn't take Benavidez down, which Henry can never do. You know, he can take down Wilson, who's already rocked, and you know he can take down Chris Carriazzo. But when he, he can't, Kimura. he can't take down Chico Camus, you know, a teammate of Sergio's. But he can't take down uh, fucking Formiga. You know what I'm saying? Uh, these guys are, but I just don't see him take. You know, Sergio, he's been taken on before. But when you when we talk about Sergio Pettis, I mean, the guy's only twenty three years old, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, twenty three, twenty four, one of these things. Super young, but so experienced. I mean, we remember that fight with Caceres back in the day. Who's a forty fiver, by the way. I mean, even though he lost that fight, I thought that performance was so good for a guy that young, fighting a guy so much taller than him. Like Caceres is like what five eleven maybe, and Sergio's like five three five four you know and i mean he was still landing high kicks on a guy that high you know what i'm saying and then you know after that the ryan benoit fight let's not act like benoit's the not the heaviest hitter at flyweight i mean if you can name a guy that has bigger force on his punches than benoit I would, at flyweight you know, at flyweight i'd really like to know um i mean benoit has crippling power um and, you know, he got caught. It happens. Like Duke Rufus told him, it's a part of the process. This happens to every fighter. They start off good and then, boom, all of a sudden, damn, what the fuck happened? I got caught. And, you know, Cejudo, 
he had to figure out, like, look, I can't be too aggressive against a guy like Benavides, or does he in his head think he won that fight still? Maybe he didn't think there was anything wrong with what he did. And, you know, the the DJ fight, no excuse, the DJ is on a different class than all these guys, but I honestly believe that Sergio can use the same style that Benavides did at a way better and a way cleaner rate, man. I think Sergio can, you know, if he stays very careful the first round, Henry does come out like a bull that first round. I think in rounds two and three that he can make Henry look real silly, man. I feel like people are just under the assumption that he's going to take and hold Sergio down. Who's he ever done that to? They're under the impression he's going to come out here and lay Sergio out. Well, you know, but they, they think that Henry has multiple options. And it's like, one, who's he knocked out? Wilson Hayes? Who else? Crickets. <laughs> who else has he knocked out? And who else has he even dropped? Let's exa- take it, exactly, let's take it exactly. Who else? Who else has he even really like dropped floored with punches before? The guys, yeah, it sounds like he's hitting hard, but his power doesn't really translate to crippling guys and putting them down cold. And you know, Sergio, that Moreno fight. I know Moreno is a little overrated, which we predicted. You know, before that fight, we cashed out hey, on Sergio. Plus one forty. You know what I'm saying? And Sergio was the underdog in that fight. Just look at the two, his last two fights. You know, Moraga, who's in my opinion the second or third hardest hitter at flyweight. We just saw what Moraga did to uh, Magomed Bilbalatov. He KO'd him stiff with a vicious left hook, and Sergio Sergio ate that same left hook completely fine and dropped him and made him look silly in rounds one and three. You know, the second round was a little sketch because Sergio has a tendency to like to play off his back too much, but, you know, hopefully in this spot here, he doesn't try to do that. Hopefully he uh, comes out here, and don't be surprised if he sweeps Henry off his back either because I'm telling you, Sergio's throwing up some... Uh, some nice sweeps from from bottom, man. He's got a he's got a guard. I, I think he's way better than his brother. I think his guard's better than his brother's. It's not Wilson. comparable. Yeah, I think he's a complete like, mixed martial artist. Exactly, his brother isn't exactly. And um, I think Sergio's gonna open a lot of eyes here, man. I think, like I said, I respect Sahudo. Sahudo, you know, but he beat Wilson Hayes. Calm down, big whoop. It's not it's not it's not that big of a deal. Let's not act like we Wilson hasn't been rocked a hundred million times. And uh, I think Sergio's going to come out here, probably lose that first round. But in rounds two and three, I think Henry's going to he's gonna see Henry's shots coming from a mile away. I feel like Henry's going to be swinging at air just like the Benavides fight. And I feel like Sergio's going to be landing in that jab, that straight right, the left high, making him look silly. And I just feel like he's going to win a 29-28 decision here. Yeah, I think people are putting way too much stock into that Wilson Hayes performance. Like you, you're gonna look me in the, you're gonna look me in the eyes with a straight face and tell me that Henry's gonna come out here with a karate stance against Sergio and bust him up like he did to Wilson Hayes. I mean, look, if he does that, then hey, my my hat's off to him. Much respect, but I don't see that happening at all. I don't see that happening by a country mile, man, because that was Wilson Hayes. Wilson Hayes. You know, ducks into the punches. He shoots for sloppy takedowns. He's got no stand-up whatsoever. It's It was just a tailor-made matchup for Henry Cejudo. And you've never seen Henry Cejudo use that karate stance before. He was using it because he felt like he felt like this fight was a joke. He, I guarantee you right now, he comes out here trying to play karate with uh, Sergio Pettis. And he's going to eat a bunch of shots that he doesn't even see coming. And not only that, you know, we talk about his Olympic wrestling. Look, I'm sure in a pure wrestling match, he'd go out there and beat Sergio, but this is MMA, and MMA wrestling is a different animal, and Sergio's got a very good get-up game, and I know people like to talk about, oh, Sergio's got such a uh, shitty chin. Well, let's talk about that for a sec, because I think it needs to be addressed. So the people that dropped him, Alex Caceres, 
who, let me remind you, is a 145er. Sergio's a 125er. Alex Caceres is a 145er. He's that... on tough at lightweight, by the way. Alex Caceres is a 145er that went five rounds with Yair Rodriguez. And, and we're gonna and he's five foot eleven. We're gonna give Sergio shit, who's a 125er, for getting dropped by a 145er. Okay. And then the other time against Bruce Leroy, excuse me, against Ryan Benoit, who's the hardest hitter in that division, a guy with an 80% KO rate. Can you tell me a harder hitter than uh, Ryan Benoit at flyweight? I don't think you, you can. 80% KO rate. I mean, you saw his last fight. He was losing the whole fight. One shot. That was all she wrote, man. And I'd say Moraga is the second hardest hitter. And Moraga hit Sergio with a hard shot. Sergio ate it like no problem. And then he returned with some shots of his own and he dropped and wobbled Moraga. You've never seen Moraga get dropped and wobbled ever in any of his UFC fights. So just shows you, man, Sergio is looking super calm out there. He's looking super technical out there. And I think that now that, you know, it used to be a case where he was like, oh, I'm Anthony's little brother. And, you know, he felt like he had to live up to the ex- expectations. But he's now but now he's better than his brother. And, and I mean that 100%. I mean, look, when we talk about his brother at the time when, when Anthony was the champion, Anthony was, you know, I was thinking like, man, this dude could be the next Anderson Silva. He's jumping off the cage. He's kicking Benson Henderson's head into the fifth row. He's doing all these things, but but he never evolved, and the sport went way past him. And Anthony's known for his flash and his swag. Sergio's a technician out there, man. Sergio will perform surgery on you out there. And uh, if uh, Cejudo wants to test out his, you know, quote unquote, newfound striking against Sergio, please be my guest. Please do that because, you know, besides you know him potentially catching Sergio in the first two minutes. I think he's going to slow down. He's going to get picked apart. That head's going to get bounced back. Uh, he's going to eat some high kicks, and I think he's going to start to gas out. He's going to start to get discouraged. And, dude, we're recording this on Thursday. We haven't even seen the guy weigh in. We don't even know if he's going to make weight yet because those weight cuts, they take a lot out of Henry Cejudo. Not to mention, Henry Cejudo is the kind of guy that he has. Uh, he's at least one of the top three uh, most pullouts in, in MMA history, man. He's definitely up there with all the guys that pull out of every single fight. You know, you got guys like Abel Trujillo. You got guys like Henry Cejudo. Who else? Bobby Green. Bobby Green. You know, Henry Cejudo is right at the top of that list, man. He pulls out of almost every fight, and it's not because uh, he got sick or this. Or that. The dude's a. Uh, even though he's an Olympic gold medalist and I would never question his mindset, I do think that, you know, he, he does uh, question himself a little bit because, you know, on fight week, he's supposed to fight Scott Jorgensen in his debut. And then uh, he pulls out, you know, of the debut on fight weekend. He did a bunch of that shit on the regional did scene, too. Did that against Demacio Page the day before the fight on the regional scene. And then with Sergio, the first time they face off at, you know, the stare downs. He shakes Sergio's hand. And then, uh, and we could all tell he was struggling. He was cutting big weight. And then he says that he injured his hand. How exactly did he injure his hand? He injured his hand hitting pats? Like, are, are you guys buying that bullshit? I don't buy that one bit. And I think he's going to struggle to make weight here. And even if he makes it, I think he's going to gas out after the first round. And Sergio's going to take over. So, look, the first round, if Sergio loses it, it's going to be either because Henry is that explosive that he's able to come out here and catch him or... Sergio throws a stupid kick, it gets caught, and he ends up on his back. But it's not really like Henry's known for keeping that top control anyways. So, look, I'm putting two units on Sergio Pettis just like I did last time. And I haven't done it yet because it's plus 240. 
I think it's gonna get even big. I think it's gonna be even bigger, you know, because I think that the hype that Suhudo has, because he knocked out fucking Wilson Hayes, who has absolutely no stand up whatsoever, and oh, and he came out in this karate stance, like who, who gives a shit? So I, I think that's gonna get the line even bigger. But I'm not gonna be too greedy. I'm gonna wait about an hour or two more, and if it's still plus two forty, I'm just gonna go ahead and move in. I was thinking I could get plus two five, but again, I'm not gonna be too greedy. I'm gonna put two units on Sergio, and I think he's gonna open a lot of eyes. We'll see what happens, and. If Henry really is the big, really, really is the real deal, and if Henry really has this new evolved striking and he's able to implement that on Sergio, then hey, I've I've never been one to make excuses about an L. I've never been one to you know hide away. I'll be the first one to give him his props, man. It is what it is. You know, when you're a long-term winner, you can accept taking an L from time to time. It is what it is. No big deal. That's why, you know, it's funny. I went on a little skid, but I'm still up over 32 units this year. That's called proper money management. That's called knowing what the fuck you're doing. So it's not about the individual picks. It's about the process. And Sergio Pettis plus 240. That's part of the process. So I'm putting two units on it. Now, next up, the co-main event of the evening, Francis Ngannou. He's minus 260. The comeback on Alistair Overeem is plus 220. This fight is very cut and dry, in my opinion, you know. I don't think, I think Ngannou, you know, I know they want him to be the future UFC heavyweight champion. I know they are pushing, they're moving him to Vegas. They're putting all the money and efforts, the people around him, into becoming the UFC heavyweight champion. But at the end of the day, the UFC brass can't fight for him. And, I mean, we're not just talking about uh, a step up in competition. We're talking about a huge step up in competition. And, you know, lately, these type of matchups uh, have been going in uh, favor of the vets. Now, Overeem, I mean, I feel like his style is very cut and dry. We all know the deal with Overeem. It's plain and simple. He's the better fighter, but what happens when he gets hit? Sometimes, ten times he's gone down in MMA, and I'm sure he'll go down again at some point. You know, will it be here? But we know in the future that this is just how Overeem operates. I feel like he's the second best heavyweight in the world, hands down. It's just one thing, the chin. He has no other flaws in his game, in my opinion, besides chin. And, you know, and, and he gets hit, it's because it's because he's always either, it's either a big fight like Stipe where I don't know what the fuck happened. He just, like, freaked out because of the moment. Or, and, you know, people like to say, oh, he got knocked out by Travis. He got knocked out. Let's not act like Travis Brown was in 14-1 and one, and a lot of people thought he was going to be the heavyweight champion at the time. And let's not forget that, uh, even though that Bigfoot won, that Bigfoot won was really bad because, I mean, he beat the fuck out of Bigfoot and then, like, fought him up. And then he, like, he just got cocky. And, you know, those are old Alistair, man. But I feel like the new Alistair, the new Alistair has found a way to protect his chin for you know, six of his last seven fights because before the JDS fight, what was everyone saying? Oh, the second JDS touches him, he's going to get knocked out. But JDS couldn't touch him. And that's a way more uh, technical striker than fucking Nganu. Yeah, because JDS, JDS is trying to trade kicks with him. He did, I, I watched that fight. He threw like two kicks the entire fight because the range of Overeem. Overeem was switching from Southpaw Orthodox, giving him different looks, running away. JDS started getting a little frustrated. Overeem would blast him with the left body kick because Overeem, Overeem has the best arsenal of strikes at heavyweight hands down and i mean what happened he jds got so frustrated that he did something stupid and he got caught with the uh, left hook and went down and you know what was mark hunt supposed to do oh the second mark hunt touches him it's going to be over but he couldn't because Overeem had a different strategy for that one he knew that he could tie mark hunt up and just land knees and guess what mark hunt got knocked the fuck out and you know in ghana there's so many questions about this guy he's like i almost put him in the same category as gaichi not in terms of you know eating shots but there's so many questions about the guy yeah i know he beat anthony hamilton but it's not like he anthony hamilton 
Hamilton ate a punch from him, just if we're just being honest. And you know, I know he beat Boyan, uh, which whatever the fuck his last name is, that fucking jobber that Edelard beat. I know he beat you know a five and zero Curtis Blades that was training at a UFC gym, and I watched that fight. That was a very ugly. But I'm not gonna lie, I do feel the force of the punches. And like I said, when you bet over him, you do it in certain spots. And maybe this probably this probably is a spot, but like. And it was at the it was at the similar line that he was against JDS, but you know it's something I just don't want to get into this weekend. I'm not sold on Ngannou at all. How's his chin? We know how over we know Overeem's chin is shit, but how's Ngannou's chin? It hasn't been tested. You know when you're fighting Arlovsky, and you know, granted he made Arlovsky look uh, worse than Tybura. And Ngannou put him and, away quicker than exactly. Overeem did. Ours was better though, but. Uh, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And, you know, granted, but let's not act like Stipe and Overeem didn't prep that chin for those losses. You know what I'm saying? And uh, But he did what he had to do. But how's his chin? I don't know. How's his wrestling? I don't know. I've seen him getting taken down by, you know, ugly shit. You know what I'm saying? How's his How's his other overall game? You, everyone's just making an assumption. Oh, he, he's training at the Performance Institute. So what? You know, Josh Stansberry was training at the Performance Institute at one point. Like, I understand the guy they want him to be. They want, just like they want, you know, Sean O'Malley to be the guy. They want all these other guys to be the guy. But at the end of the day, he's nowhere near the level of Overeem. I honestly believe that. And I feel like... Like I said, it's plain and simple. If Overeem gets hit flush, then he goes down, then hey, it happened again. But what happens when this fucking guy? I think Overeem's going to come out here. I think that Ngannou's not even going to touch him for the first round. I feel like Overeem is going to finesse him to a point where it's just going to be clear that who's the better fighter. But if Ngannou can get past that and land, he'll probably knock him out. And let's not forget that Overeem can go three rounds and Ngannou hasn't been three rounds. And uh, we're more experienced. We've faced adversity. One thing you can say about Alistair Overeem, you know, his chin, his chin, his chin. That's the only thing you can say about him. And, uh, you know, every time he's faced adversity, he's come back every single time. And eventually he's got knocked back out again. He's come back after the fight, not within the fight. Yeah. He's never faced adversity in a fight and come back and won. You're true. That's true. But hasn't Ganu? No. You know what I'm saying? And Ganu hasn't been in here with anything, not even remotely close to what he's about to get into. And I think Alistair's going to show that. I think he's going to knock him out in the first round. I think it's going to be a straight finessing. I think Ngannou's going to be coming in here just thinking like everyone's thinking one touch of the chin. But the thing is, you have to be skilled to do that. You have to you have to react to the feint. Got to be you skilled gotta, like Bigfoot yeah. Silva and Travis Brown. Yeah, those guys are way more experienced. Travis Brown was supposed to be the heavyweight champion. His only loss was the Bigfoot. Let's not forget that, right? He was Don't act like you guys weren't saying that he was going to be the future UFC champion. Let's not act like Bigfoot didn't beat Fedor two fights before he uh, beat Overeem and that he you know, fought Cain Velasquez right after that. These guys had way more experience. These guys were, you know, people would like to say, oh, fucking, I just feel like that's a joke because Travis Brown was actually Travis Brown at the time. It wasn't like he's the Travis Brown that's, you know, going out there getting beat up by Alexi, and it's heavyweight, man. All these guys have been knocked out. Travis Brown, Bigfoot, Overeem, uh, uh, Steve Emiochik got knocked out by fucking Stefan Struve. Stefan Struve's been knocked out. Fucking Mark Hunt's been knocked out, except Mingano. Like I said about Gaethje, all these guys got to pay their dues, and I think that's going to be his time. I don't think he's just going to rush up to the heavyweight division like how they want him to be, because Overeem's like so much of a better fighter and we'll see if he can touch a chin if he touches his chin then props to him he he did what you know nine up ten other people have done but fucking and he and then he, i guess he is the real deal we'll see how he does against uh stipe but i don't know how his let's not act like he didn't floor stipe twice how's Ngannou for the first time in his ufc career gonna react to being floored on his ass you know what i'm saying how's he gonna react how's his heart 
I don't know. So, you know, this is interesting because there are definitely a lot of Overeem fans that like to ignore the fact that this guy probably has the worst chin in the history of the sport. And yeah, okay, he's definitely the more technical fighter. I agree with that. And if somehow Nganu doesn't land on that chin, then hey, Overeem's going to do what he's been doing his last few fights. And I know people like to talk about, oh, he's won six of seven. What about that one loss in between then? Everyone likes to excuse it and say, oh, but it was the champ, so therefore it's not a big deal. Yeah, but guess what? The same flaw that's been exposed since fucking 2006 when Shogun knocked this dude's head into the fifth row and then he started taking horse meat. He went up a weight class. We all know the deal. Was exposed against again last year. Was exposed the year before that. The year before that. I mean, look, man. He's going in there with guys like Bigfoot Silva. I remember the pre-fight talk and he's like, one plus one equals two. You know, as if it's just going to be the easiest contest. When you're fighting Bigfoot Silva, who is probably the chinniest fighter in the history of the sport, chinnier than Overeem, you're supposed to handle that guy in the first two minutes of the fight. You don't play around and take him down and not knock him out and then get knocked the fuck out by Bigfoot Silva. And then you get knocked out by Travis Brown after beating his ass. Then you get knocked. Then you go to Jackson. It's okay. Now we changed up our style. Now we got this shell game. Ben Rothwell knocks you out. Like I get these guys hit hard, but you're so much more technical than them. You're so much better than them, and they're still finding your chin. And guess what? You're so much more technical than Nganu too. But Nganu is three is is ten times the athlete that Ben Rothwell is. He's ten times the athlete that Bigfoot Silva, Travis Brown, all these guys that knocked out Overeem are. And uh, listen, you're giving me 15 minutes to land one time on this guy's chin. And, I, you know, I know I use similar arguments when he fought Big Country. But look, Big Country's a fat slob. It is what it is. Nganu is a freak of nature. Nganu is a guy they flew out to the Performance Institute two years ago so they could groom their next heavyweight champion. They know exactly what they're doing here. And if it's going to be a bust, it's going to be a bust. But I don't think so, man. I think the only thing that's getting busted is that glass jaw of Alistair Overeem. Him. I think he's going to take another canvas nap and then, uh, you know, he, he'll come back and maybe he can get a win over a Marcin Tibura or something like that. But I think the the sheer physical presence, the force, the athleticism of Nganu is going to be too much. And I think he's going to send uh, Overeem flying across the octagon KO'd stiff. And, you know, we have a lot of Overeem haters, you know what I'm saying? But look look at the guy's resume. Look what he did to Fabrice Overdoom his last fight. You know, the people like to say he hasn't come back from adversity. What happened in that fight? He got rocked and he survived. He held on because he finessed him in those two rounds. Fabricio fucking Verdum beat him twice. Beat JDS. Beat Mark Hunt. Everyone and all these guys. Look at JDS. He's been, uh, not JDS, but Verdum. He's been knocked out. This happens at heavyweight. I know Ben Rothwell's slower, but heavyweight's giants throwing punches. Anyone goes down. Stipe lost to fucking Stefan Struve. You know what I'm saying? It's heavyweight. Anyone can go down at any time. It's, everyone has a shit chin when you really think about it at heavyweight. Because, look, when we're talking about heavyweight, we're talking about fucking giants. We're talking about one shot can change everything. If you're, if this was at light heavyweight, middleweight, you know what I'm saying? I feel like, yeah, his chin, he's been knocked out, but the guy's got like 60 fights. The guy's been, the guy's been, he's got K1 fights as well. So when you really think about it, you know, yeah, he's been knocked out, yeah. At the end of the day, he's been knocked out. But this is heavyweight. Ben Rothwell, Ben Rothwell's a fucking massive motherfucker. Like, if he touches your chin What's in one good time, you know what I'm saying? But what happens if Overeem touches him? Let's not act like Overeem's a fucking technician and he hits like a fucking tank. Let's not act like these things don't exist, you know what I'm saying? And you know what I'm saying? The, the experience, just the overall skills. And Ganu's nowhere near this level, and we're going to find out. You know, it's funny to bring up how, you know, oh, every... 
heavyweight's been knocked out. You're right, you know. Stipe's been knocked out one time. Cigano's been yeah, knocked out yeah. two times. You know, uh, Ben Rothwell's probably been knocked out twice. You know, Kane's been knocked out twice. Wardoon's been knocked out twice. Overeem's been knocked out motherfucking 12 times. This but isn't when you some... you say that, because Overeem has five the amount of times uh, fights. Okay, Alexi's got that many fights. How many times he been KO'd? The guy lost to Chelsea Sonnen, so that's not even a question. <laughs> so he, he should be X out of that conversation, you know what I'm saying? But fucking... Fucking, it's just different, man. Uh, I'm uh, Alana Magov beat Alexi. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, <laughs> Alexi's had the same amount of fights. He ain't been KO'd a uh, hundred times. Yeah, yeah, right. I know I'm right. But who's the, who's the better fighter though? <laughs> it it doesn't matter who the better fighter is because you're right. Alistair, Alistair is the better fighter than Ben Rothwell. Alistair is the better fighter than Travis Brown. Alistair is the better fighter than Bigfoot Silva. It's he's a, probably the better fighter than Ngannou, but uh, he's gonna take a canvas nap. I think Francis is going to be taking his... We, me and him have a bet on this between ourselves. I think Francis is taking his first canvas nap, and he thinks uh, Overeem's taking his 11th or 12th. But, but Shaq ain't about to put money on Overeem. I might, honestly. <laughs> I'm not writing it out because, you know, I'm, I don't bet with my dick. You know what I'm saying? I don't bet on emotions. Um, I feel like there's other safer things, and I don't want to sweat him eating a punch for 15 minutes. But I feel like this is going to go similar to the JDS. You know, like before that fight, I got so much shit for everyone. JDS was coming off the Stipe fight or whatnot, and they were saying, oh, bro, the second this thing touches. And I was just like, he's got to touch his chin first, just like Mark Hunt had to touch his chin. And I know guys have touched his chin before. But guys also haven't touched his chin before. You know what I'm saying? The top guys. Fucking. Yeah, but how weathered was JDS? Fucking two cane wars, a Stipe war. The dude had nothing left. He had a year off in between fights. But what did he do his next fight? He went up and destroyed the guy that knocked out over him, uh, Ben Rothwell, who everyone thought was on this fucking big fucking momentum swing. And he fucking treated him like a kid the next fight after that. And then he fought the champion and he got KO'd again. But, you know, that's how heavyweight is. Just like. Derek Lewis versus Mark Hunt. Everyone thinks Mark Hunt's completely done. Oh, one skull touch after the Overeem fight. He's going to take another canvas nap. But Derek Lewis had no business being in that fight because he's nowhere near the level of Mark Hunt, just mentally, just experience-wise. I just think we're dealing with a different kind of athlete and than we're, Derek we're Lewis find, and Ben Rothwell. You can be an athlete, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you have to have the skills to touch him. I agree. And uh, in my opinion, he does have the skills. And, and we're going to find out. <laughs> I, I cannot wait. You know, but props to Overeem because I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on this. Even though he's never overcome adversity in a fight. He, he has overcome adversity in a fight. The Riverdale fight, he survived. Is that coming? He didn't get his ass beat in the third round and hold on. Did he come back and win the third round? Or he won the fight after, you know, finessing I mean, for the two he rounds. Held he could have got knocked life. out for the 12th time or the 11th time. But he said, hold on, bro. I'm going to fucking get through this and hold on because I know I won the first two rounds. He held on for dear fight. life. And he didn't hold on for dear life. He got back up to his feet and didn't get a 10-8. And it was a 10-9 round. It wasn't a 10-8. So he, that, that is facing adversity. That's why one judge had it a draw. One, it was 29-28 over him. Majority decision. Cards. It was all cards. Wasn't it a majority decision? All cards. Should we bet that right now? I'm pretty sure it's a majority decision. All right, let's look at this, let's look this shit up. Moment of truth coming up right here, right now. I'm happy about this decision. All cards, Majority decision. Oh. I win, motherfucker. <laughs> what the fuck is up? <laughs> hey, but he got through that fight and fucking, uh, and like he did face adversity in that this fight. This motherfucker he, been he on the, me pizzas. I want him back on beta, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, knock him out again. But, uh, fucking, like I said, even the, uh, the Roy Nelson fight, I remember him coming back from adversity in that fight. I remember him getting dropped. Roy Nelson's a fat slob. He hits like a fucking truck, though. But you said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about adversity in fights. I've seen him come back in fights before. 
Well, this is going to be interesting. I can't wait. So main event of the evening, Max Blessed Holloway is minus 320. The comeback on Jose Aldo Jr. is plus 260. Now, it's not often you see a plus 260 next to Jose Aldo's name. This is actually the first time we've ever seen that, probably in his UFC history, in his WEC history, unless they didn't know who he was when he was fighting goddamn Luis Noguera or something like that. But bottom line, you don't often see a plus 260 next to Jose, but I'll tell you what, when I max bet Max Holloway at plus 110 the first time, this is what I said, and, and I'm not saying this to be a genius or anything like that, but the bottom line is I said he's going to lose the first two rounds and come back, and the reason I said that is because Jose Aldo always wins the first two rounds. Jose Aldo looks like the pound-for-pound pound best fighter on the planet in that first round, but historically speaking, he always slows down. You saw the Mark Hominick fight with him getting pounded in that fifth round. You saw the Ricardo Lamas with him getting pounded in that fifth round. You saw the motherfucking Max Holloway fight with him getting finished in Brazil in the third round. So now what do you think about this rematch, Jack? You know, I want to stay away from this rematch because I don't like these type of fights. Uh, I think Max is going to win the fight. I'm not willing to bet it and find out on either side because this is a typical letdown spot. This is uh, what These are where the flukes happen in this sport, you know what I'm saying? You know, Jose has nothing to lose. The first time they fought, he had something to lose. This time he has absolutely nothing to lose. If he gets knocked out, that should have happened. You know what I'm saying? If Max wins this fight... That should have happened. You know, granted, he did. He, if he wins this fight, he beats Jose two times in a row, the best featherweight of all time. But, you know, like I, it's, plain, it's plain and simple for me. I think Max will do the same thing. I don't think Aldo's throwing leg kicks anymore because I feel like people forget that, you know, he broke his leg at one point. And I feel like maybe he's a little scared to throw uh, those leg kicks anymore. His leg has had to been uh, surgically repaired. And I don't think he's confident throwing low kicks as, as he once was. Is and, that true? Yeah. After the uh, fucking zombie fight, he broke his leg. Oh, yeah, you're right. And then... Um, maybe, maybe that's why he hasn't been throwing leg kicks his exact, last few fights. That's exactly. He didn't throw him against Frankie. He threw, like, two against Frankie. He broke his leg in the Korean zombie fight, and he hasn't been throwing leg kicks ever since. Um, fucking Holloway, I feel like he's the best featherweight on the on the planet. I mean, the range, just the, the switching from southpaw back to orthodoxy, even his jujitsu. I mean, and the, let's not forget what he did. He dominated Jose on the mat, after, you know, after he had him hurt. But, I mean, just to hold that for so long against a guy like Jose, who's, you know, beaten Cobrina twice in a jiu-jitsu match, I feel like he's the best featherweight on planet Earth. I just feel like these type of fights, Ben Wise, I don't want no part of because, like I said, one motherfucker has nothing to lose and the other has everything to lose. But and it's minus 320. Holloway. Yeah, and it's minus 320. So uh, I'm, I'm good on that. But, you know, I think Max Holloway will defend his belt. Yeah, I do as well. And look, the reason I picked him the first time, like I already said, and not to, you know, fucking be Mr. Genius or any bullshit like that. And when I say genius, I'm not talking about you either, bro. <laughs> but uh, not to be a Mr. After the Fact is what I'm trying to say. Is that, look, man, Aldo always comes out hard those first two rounds, but he's so explosive, he's so dynamic that he tends to slow down. And we know Max is historically a slow starter because he likes to feel you out. He likes to find his timing, he likes to find his range, he switches stances, he steps through with his punches, and once he finds your uh, your timing, finds his range, he starts getting off on multiple shot combinations, he starts mixing it up to the body, he starts spinning, he'll start putting his hands up in the air in the middle of the octagon in Brazil against Jose Aldo. You know, that's the kind of confidence Max Holloway has. He's on an 11-fight win streak, which is kind of unprecedented unprecedented in the UFC. I mean, it's pretty damn close to Anderson Silva's 16-fight win streak. And don't be surprised, Shaq, if Max Holloway becomes the guy 
to beat uh, Anderson Silva's 16-fight win streak record. You know what I'm saying? I know he's not undefeated in the UFC like Anderson was at the time, but still, don't be surprised if he's the guy to break that 16-fight uh, win streak that Anderson had once. And, you know, between you and me, John Jones already broke that record, but since uh, Steve Mazzagani decided to, uh, you know, to make himself a part of the equation, he fucked that up for everybody. So, since John Jones is officially not in the history books as the guy with the longest win streak in UFC history, Max Holloway now has that chance. And, you know, I know this could be the classic letdown spot because Max was training so hard for Frankie and then he gets the call that, oh, now you're going to fight a guy that you already absolutely butchered in his home country. And Max could be like, oh, I don't even got to train for this shit. But knowing the kind of champion that Max Holloway is, knowing the kind of competitor he is, knowing the fact that one doesn't simply go on an 11-fight win streak inside the UFC's octagon against top-level competition, he's literally wiping out his entire division, I think he's going to come in motivated for this fight. I think he's got a point to prove. And people like to talk about how Oh, Jose Aldo is going to throw the leg kicks this time, and I think that's a very astonine argument. The reason why is because, go watch their first fight. He actually did throw a leg kick or two, but what happened as soon as he threw it? He got countered with that straight right every single time. He got his bell rung, and then he was like, oh, shit, I better abandon those leg kicks because he's got an answer for it every single time. So if you think all of a sudden Max isn't going to throw that straight right counter off the leg kick, I, I think you're very mistaken, and not to mention, Max knows how to check leg kicks. He often doesn't, though, because he'll sacrifice eating the leg kick to land that straight right counter. That's what a lot of these guys do. But uh, don't make no mistake about it. That Ivan Flores uh, striking that he's got, he definitely knows how to check a leg kick. And look, again, I think Aldo can come out here and win the first two rounds like he did the first time. But after that, man, he always slows down. And when you slow down against someone like Max Holloway... You know, it could be all she wrote, and it was all she wrote the first time, and uh, I think this time in Detroit, it's going to be and still, and Shaq, I actually have a feeling it's going to be a quicker fight than the first time. You know, I have these theories, and I know this wasn't a five-round fight, but oftentimes when, you know, a championship fight, it goes the five-round distance, I feel like in the rematch, it tends to end inside the first round. You know, you look at Machida versus Shogun, you look at Pettis versus Benson, you look at Benson versus Cowboy, Dan Henderson versus Shogun, a lot of these fights, they went, you know, past the third-round mark the first time, but then in the rematch, uh, someone got finished, and uh, I think someone's going to get finished again, and I think that that someone is going to be Jose Aldo, I think Max Holloway is about to still be the champion, and he's going to fight uh, Frankie Edgar in his uh, next fight, and Man, real quick, how bad would it suck for Frankie Edgar if Jose won this fight? Yeah, I mean, his career would uh, pretty much be fucked at that point. <laughs> yeah, it would be uh, insane. So I think Max is going to win this, defend his belt, defend it a couple more times. And uh, let's see if uh, Mr. Zabit Magomed Sheripov can uh, climb his way to the to the belt while Max is still champ. Because uh, that would be very intriguing. I mean, there's a lot more guys than Zabit. I'm saying we got Qatar fighting Burgos coming Ortega. up. Ortega. Max has got a tough road. I don't know if he hits that 16, that, uh, 16 fight win streak. I can't wait to find out. But now, we got to call up uh, Big Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, the five times UFC DraftKings qualifier. What's going on, Kyle? Hey, man, not much, dude. I'm running out lately, so I'm ready to keep this going. Oh, yes, you are. You know, it's funny. When uh, I first got you on the show, you were a two-times qualifier. Now you're a five-times qualifier. I mean, how long until you, uh, you become a ten-time? Uh, they got to come out with a new qualifier. So I got this current one maxed out. They're not going to let me have any more seats. So as soon as the next qualifier is announced, uh, I'm hoping I get the first seat in it. 
Well, man, opportunity is calling because 218, I have a feeling this is one of those cards where people are either going to look super sharp or they're going to look super square because a lot of these matchups are toss-ups. But more importantly than that, let's talk about this main event real quick because I know the first time you did pick Aldo, he went out there, he won the first two rounds. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to keep that pace up. Max Holloway did his thing. But at that time, Kyle, it was a pick-em. So... Anyone can understand a case for both sides, but now you got Max Holloway minus 320. We've never seen Jose Aldo as a plus 260 dog before. Now, even though I think Max Holloway is the way better fighter, you probably have to agree that there's definitely some value on the former champion. Yeah, I thought so. Um, and I went ahead and bet him at that plus 250 just because of the change in lines and they were even last time, and now i got to take a stab at the plus 250. I don't really think he's going to win. It was more just a shot at the line. Uh, I like Holloway a lot in this fight just because it's short notice, and we already saw this fight. So I think it's going to probably go about the same way. But, man, last time they were both 8,100 on DraftKings, and this time we have Holloway at 9,300, and we have Aldo at 6,900. So seeing Aldo all the way down there, the second cheapest person on the card, really hard not to click his name so i'm having a tough time on this one on DraftKings, man i'm uh going back and forth i think i might just go 50 percent do half my lineups with all the half of them with holloway and then stacking cash but man i'm having trouble on this one how you seeing it i mean i'm seeing it for holloway just like i did the first time bro because look and I'm not trying to sound like some genius or whatever, but I did say Aldo's going to win the first two rounds and he's going to slow down like he always does. It's not because I had a crystal ball. It's because I saw it firsthand when he fought Hominick. I saw it firsthand when he fought Lamas. I saw it firsthand when he fought the Korean zombie. I know the injury happened, but look, man, the dude always slows down after the second round. And you know who's one guy you don't want to slow down against? That's Max Blessed Holloway. And also a lot of people are talking about how Oh, he didn't throw leg kicks, so this time he will. It's like, firstly, Aldo hasn't really thrown leg kicks his last, like, five fights, man. I feel like after he broke his foot against the Korean zombie, he kind of abandoned that part of his game. And it's interesting because I was listening back to an old episode of Half the Battle because I was trying to see how I broke down this matchup initially. And you brought up a very good point, Kyle, and I kind of brushed it to the side, but and I, I kind of feel bad for it because now I'm thinking about it. And you said, do you think the reason Aldo hasn't been throwing the kicks is because of what happened to Anderson with his leg break. And at the time, I kind of brushed it aside. But now I'm like, bro, is that the reason? Or was it that he broke his foot against Korean Zombie? Yeah, I mean, dude, I have no idea. I'm, I'm hoping we see him again in this one because I'm taking my stab at him and he's going to need to be kicking that leg in order to win. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's a mental thing. It's, I, I doubt it's with Silva. Um, you never know. But I, it's hard to think. I mean, it was – Around that time, right, when he kind of stopped throwing those leg kicks, I feel like. I don't know. Uh, it's just got to be in the back of his mind when he throws them, especially when he's had a broken foot. He knows the dangers that can come with it. And if you do that in the first round, you have a broken foot. You know you're fucked. So maybe it's a, a mental thing, but I'm hoping it's, it's over with and it's just a thing of the past, and now we see those leg kicks come back in this fight. So I don't know if it's a guessing game, but I'm just having a hard time picking other people over Aldo uh, in that bottom range on DraftKings. And the same way with Holloway, it's hard to pick him over some of those other people at the top. So I think it's um, a really interesting fight. I'm looking forward to see the ownership percentages on this one. 
Yeah, no, I just feel like if he throws that leg kick, he's going to get countered with a straight right every time because a lot of these guys that don't check kicks, they'll sacrifice eating the kick to be able to throw that straight. And that's exactly uh, what Max Holloway does. So whether he does that again remains to be seen. I cannot wait to find out. But look, a fight that a lot of people have been going back and forth on is this co-main event between Francis Ngannou and Alistair Overeem. Now, I have Francis Ngannou. Shaq has Overeem. Where are you sitting on this one? Uh, I have Ngannou as well. Um, but I'm going to have a few shots on Overeem as well. It's, if you're making 10 lineups, I, I don't think you can completely fade Overeem in this fight. Um, and again, who's never fought anybody as good as Overeem. Um, and Overeem has fought people. I mean, as good as Nganu, he just doesn't have the chin to hold up. So that's really what we're banking on. Is he going to get knocked out or is he not? I'm going to have to take stabs both ways, but I do think he will be getting knocked out. So my heavier lean will be towards Nganu. But if I'm making 10 lineups, i got to have at least one or two with Overeem. But I can load up maybe five or six on Engano. So Henry Cejudo is going to fight Sergio Pettis. Now look, you and I are recording this on Thursday, so there's no guarantee that Henry doesn't back out the fight like he did the first time. But the first time, I had that plus 320 on Sergio. I was fully planning on cashing. Now it's, uh, you know, the lines come down a little bit. It's about plus 240, which I still think is very disrespectful to a fighter of Sergio's caliber. But then you watch uh, Henry Cejudo's last fight against Wilson Hayes, and I understand that he absolutely murked him, but... You know, Kyle, that's Wilson Hayes. What exactly would Wilson Hayes do to a guy like Henry Cejudo? He's not going to outstrike him. He's not going to take him down. He ain't going to do shit. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense that Henry Cejudo went out there and blasted that guy. But when you talk about Sergio Pettis, I'm not convinced that Henry Cejudo is going to come out here and just wipe the floor with a guy like Sergio Pettis. You've seen the way this kid's been looking. You saw that clinic he put on uh, Moraga. You saw that clinic he put on Moreno. I think that at plus 240, it is a bit disrespectful. Kyle, what's your take? I think it's actually lined up pretty right. Um, I was leaning towards Pettis as well in their last fight. I had a bet on him uh, for that one, but now I'm not betting. Um, and it's mostly because of the way Cejudo looked in his last fight, more just his style and that karate movement. I thought he looked great out there. And, I mean, maybe you don't go out there and you try something new against a guy like Pettis, but he was fighting Wilson Hayes, so he was allowed to go out there and try something new, and it just completely worked. And now he gets to improve on that new style. Um, or he could just take down Pettis because I don't think he's going to have any problems taking Pettis down. Uh, he's just going to have to avoid the submission. But my problem is, like, unlike you know the last two fights we just talked about where you, I would go both ways for sure, I, I would just rather fade this fight as a whole because the problem with it is Cejudo is 9200 on DraftKings. He's the third most expensive so I would just rather have the people around him on DraftKings. And then on the opposite side with Pettis, he's the third cheapest, but he's $7,000 on DraftKings. And in his last two fights, he won them both by decision, and he did not score 70 points. So he's not even 10x in that low salary. I just would – I'd rather fade it. I don't want either one of these guys in my lineup. I think there's better spots. Um, but I think they will be low-owned for that reason. So the only reason I think uh, to target some GBPs, just banking on the fact that it's going to be a low-owned fight and you're hoping for a high score. The war of the century on paper, Eddie Alvarez versus Justin Gaethje. I mean, anytime you get both of those guys inside the octagon, let alone together, this could be fight of the year, Kyle. But at the same time, I know everybody and their mother is on Justin Gaethje. And I don't blame them on one hand, but on the other hand, when you fight the way Justin Gaethje does, 
You know, it's not going to be long before he gets knocked the fuck out, Kyle. That's all I got to say. Now, I'm not sure if it's going to be this Saturday, if it's going to be his next fight. But uh, I know Eddie's got that kind of power. You saw the Rafael Dos Anjos fight. You know he's perfectly capable. So, you know, considering that Justin's going to be so high on. But that being said, he does score a lot of points, I assume. So what's, what's the perspective on this one? Do you think Eddie could be a sneaky play here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think Gaethje will be very popular. And like you said, man, he can go down any time with his style. He might have zero points in this fight, and Eddie walks away with 101. Um, and if that happens, all those Gaethje lineups are dead. And if you have Alvarez, you're sitting pretty because he's going to be lower owned. Um, I think that is a great reason to target him. I will have a few of my uh, <clears throat> sorry, but a few targets of my own on him. Um, but Gaethje's the pick here, man. It's it's really hard not to pick him. I think he's got. He's got the better chin. Uh, Alvarez has the same problems as well, man. These guys are going to both have issues in the future, staying awake in fights, I'm thinking. But now Gaethje's time, and I think it's just going to be a first-round TKO with an awesome war. Uh, and Gaethje's only 8,700 on DraftKings. I don't see any way he does not pay that off with a win. Uh, this is the fight I think you should go all in on GPPs because it's going to score high, whichever way it scores uh, with the W. So I know we're going opposite ways on this one. And at the current line, I don't blame you for taking a dog shot on Watterson at plus 205. And Tisha, you know, she's minus 245. But Kyle, when I played Tisha, I got it minus 110. And I'd have to assume if this was still a pick that you'd probably lean that way. But at this price, can you explain to the public why you're going with Michelle Watterson here? Yeah, I mean, minus 110, I would have, I would like that bet as well. I would have done uh, Torres at that. But I figured that, Torres should be maybe minus 140 favored or so. And I told myself that if Watterson got over plus 155, I would take a small stab at her. So that's why I ended up betting her. I think if this was just a pick of mine, my pick is Torres. I think she's going to win. So it's more of a shot at the value. Just hoping I can get that dog win in this one. And it's also because I don't think I'm going to play a whole lot of it in DraftKings. So I want to get my investment in this fight somewhere. I figured I would just bet the dog. Um, and the reason I don't want much of it in DraftKings is because Torres, she just got her first win and she only scored like 80 something points. So I'm not really interested in that with her salary of 8,600. So I got to fade her there as well. Uh, and Watterson, she's 7,600 and I think it's going to be hard to finish Torres. So I don't really know how she pays off hers either. Unless she does get that submission, I'm just having a hard time uh seeing it take place i think maybe it's going to be a close decision 29 28 split either way so i'm just going to go with the, the dog bet on this one and likely stay away from it in DraftKings. i do think waterson is a cash play though because uh, i don't know if torres is going to be finishing her so i think you're going to get three rounds of points added up and she's somewhat she's got to find dogs somewhere so i think she's cash viable but i'm going to fade torres completely and I know we spoke privately about this matchup between Charles Oliveira and Paul Felder. And I mean, you made some some great points that on Charles Oliveira's best day, he can beat anyone in the UFC. His submission game is that dangerous. And I think people forget that he's just 28 years old. He's just a kid. You know, it's not like he's this 32-year-old. Not that there's anything wrong with being that age. I'm just saying that since we've been seeing Charles Dubronx since he was 21, we often forget that. You know, he's still just a kid, man, and he's developing. And the thing with Felder is 
It kind of reminds me of a Juban situation, not necessarily the chin, because I know that's what Juban's issue is, but just in terms of they got into this sport in their early 30s. So we see them that first time, we think they have all this potential, but that window of opportunity closes so soon, especially now that he's 34 years old. You know what I'm saying, Kyle? So it's one of these situations where do you think Paul Felder's going to come out here, hit him with a body kick, make Dubronx uh, kind of quit like he has in the past? Or do you think uh, Dubronx about to dangle off that neck, which he is known for? Uh, I'm I'm all in on Dubronx. Uh, this is my pick. I think he should be favored, um, and he's not. He's the dog, and he is cheaper on DraftKings. He's 7,700. Felder's 8,500. So 7,700. If I'm picking Dubronx to win, then I have to take that. And I think he's going to get the sub. I think the only place he doesn't win in this fight is the power. I think he can stand on the feet. If it's a if it's a striking match, I don't think he's dead in the water. I think he can win the decision in a striking match. Uh, but the problem is, is Felder going to hit him in that first round hard enough to make him fall over and quit? I'm going to say no. I think it's not going to stay on the feet long enough for me to worry about that. I think Oliver is going to get it to the ground. And just, it's, it's his world down there. So I see the sub first round. And uh, I'm going to have a lot of money on Oliveira. Um, but like you said, he could fall over in that first round and walk away with basically no points. And I can't have zero money on Felder. So I'm going to have at least one Felder lineup in DraftKings as a hedge, just in case I get the zero from Oliveira. I'm going to have to hope that hedge lineup can win 25 juice. I mean, Kyle, you had me at 7,700 with a finisher like Charles Dubronx. That's all I got to say. Uh, you hear my dog barking in the background? You know, that's that the sign. Something. We got a dog barking in this fight. <laughs> you know, that's the sign right there. Man, maybe I need to add a, add a dog play on Charles because the money's coming in and it's about to switch pretty soon. I'll tell you that right now. Now, speaking, of, right. speaking of Oliveras, another Olivera I really like is Alex Cowboy Oliveira. And I feel like he's got one of the most underrated games in the UFC. I think he's like, what, 8-2 and two in the UFC? Something crazy like that. The dude's got a very sneaky uh, winning record. And... Man, he destroys dudes in that clinch with those devastating knees. Now, we know Yancey is a true warrior. If Alex shoots on a sloppy takedown, don't be surprised if Yancey snatches that neck. But I truly believe the long-term battle will be won by Alex Cowboy Oliveira. And my only question here, Kyle, is does his style of landing a bunch of huge knees in the clinch, does that score big? Mm, I mean, the takedowns are what scores big. Mm, let's see. Last fight, he well, he got the knockout. That's where most of his points came from. Yeah, 80, 84 points. That's not bad. I mean, it just really depends on how much he's striking. It's half a point per significant strike. So he's going to have to strike a lot to get that many points. It's more the takedowns that you would want to see in this fight. Uh, he's my pick as well. I think he does win this. Uh, I think I would just rather fade it because I'm having a hard time paying up at his salary on DraftKings, which is... $8,900, there's just other people. I'd rather have Gaethje for 200 less um, and then find other favorites on the card rather than pick him. So I think it's going to be a fade for me. And that also makes me want to pick maybe Madero's in a lineup or two because you do have to find your dogs. I know I'm going to have uh, the other Oliveira as one of them, so I don't have to have too many other dogs. But Gotta you gotta find him somewhere, so maybe I'll have a Madero's lineup just to save that value uh that money and go up elsewhere. But other than that, I think this is more of a fade fight for me. And you know a favorite I like to beef up my lineup is 
Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Look, I know he kind of dropped the ball his last fight, but I think that was simply a bad matchup for him. And I think here against Sabah Homasi, he can go out there and get back on that uh, that KO winning streak, which he is known for, man. This guy is a ridiculous athlete. You know, Vic's been telling me about him for years that this kid's been training with Johnny Hendricks. And I'm not talking about, you know, pig rig. I'm talking about Johnny Hendricks back when Johnny was Johnny, okay? And, uh... Razak Al-Hassan, look, he simply fought a Russian that was way bigger than him last time. It was what it was. But now I think he's got a favorable matchup. I envision a first-round knockout. He's going to be on my lineup. What's your opinion? Yeah, I agree. I think it's the first-round knockout as well. And it's another reason that I'm not targeting Cowboy because uh, he's only $100 more than Cowboy is. And this is where I would rather be at. Give me Gaethje and Al-Hassan over Cowboy lineups. Um, I don't know if I can risk 100% of my lineups on him, but I do think he's a great play. Uh, first round knockout is my prediction as well. So that's going to be a lot of points. Uh, and I want it in a lot of lineups. So I will be invested in Al Hassan, uh, but not a hundred percent. And we'll keep this brief, man, because I, I know I know I got to let you go, man. But look, there are two dogs that kind of caught my attention, not necessarily for betting purposes, but for DraftKings. And that's Dracar Close and Courtney Casey. Look, I, I know that, their fights are going to be pretty close on paper. But look, Drakkar, man, the kid pushes a pace. That's all I got to say. The kid can push a pace. And uh, with Courtney Casey, I mean, she's got a knack for the upset too. You have an opinion on those? Because I know the favorites in those fights have been looking really good. But those are two dogs you can't count out. Yeah, I uh, actually have small plays on both those dogs as well. I think they're both good in DraftKings. I, I think I'm going to have... Maybe zero of their opponents just because Taymor is 8,400. I'm actually thinking this is going to be a real close fight, so I'm going to go with close in this close fight. Um, and so I think I just can't spend the 8,400 when all those other guys that we like are up there. I would rather get um, the dog in close at what's his price? 7,800. If he can win, I think he's going to be right around that 78 points. So that's close to the 10x. I can deal with that on my lineups. And that Casey Herrick fight, I think that's going to be a barn burner. Uh, that should be fun. I think it's going to be a lot of transitions, a lot of grappling maybe. Um, so both sides of that are good to target. But I think Casey should be maybe a slight favorite or pick em fight. So I just took a shot at the line on that one as well. I'll have both these two in my lineups. I'll have some Herrick, but I'm thinking zero ten more. Well, Kyle, man, this is why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Keep up the amazing work. The fans can follow you at Big Marley 3. Super pumped for this weekend, man. And, dude, I know you're excited for Swanson versus Ortega next week as well, right? Oh, yeah, always. Ortega fight for Kevin. Yes, sir. Well, any message for the fans before we talk next week? Nah, good luck, everybody. Uh, I'll have head to head folks if you want some action. But if you come at the king, you best not miss. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, Kyle. We'll speak next week, brother. All right, bro. Thank you. And once again, that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Five times UFC DraftKings qualifier. The guy is constantly bringing in the big bucks. And I mean, dude, he's not just killing it with MMA, Shaq. This, this motherfucker is killing it with football, too. I didn't even know about that. Kyle Marley's the best in the biz. I mean, half the battle is the best in the biz. We're giving out max bet winners, you know several times and he's given out DraftKings winners it is what it is to quote max holloway now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch so Shaq, what is the fight to watch for ufc 218 my fight to watch is going to be overeem versus francis and it's either cut and dry we're going to see if overeem does it again or is francis really the real deal
Yeah, no, 100%. I can't wait to find out. I, I can't wait to be right on that one, Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me, the fight to watch is obviously Eddie Alvarez versus Justin Gaethje. I mean, anytime you get Eddie Alvarez or Justin Gaethje and, in a fight, let alone them fighting each other, I mean, there's a chance this is going to be fight of the year. There's a chance it's going to be knockout of the year. Just bottom line, these two are going to throw down until one guy falls. And if no one falls, I mean, we could... Uh, this could uh, move Justin Gaethje versus Michael Johnson off the number one list for fight of the year. So I cannot wait to see what unfolds when these two legends of the lightweight division throw down. So Shaq, who's your fighter to watch, man? You know, my fighter to watch is going to be Sergio Pettis. I mean, he has the opportunity of a lifetime to go in there and beat a super hyped guy, get a title shot, get in there with DJ next if he can win this fight. And I mean, just his whole UFC career. I mean, the guy is one of these guys that came in super hyped, had adversity, put his head down, grinded, rose up like a three-time world champion, and now he's in another a number one contender fight. Man, I can't wait to see if Sergio rises to the occasion and becomes the number one contender in the flyweight division. My fighter to watch is Max Blessed Holloway. Look, man, this guy is on a historic run right now. 11-fight win streak. He can become the only man in MMA history to defeat Jose Aldo twice. Imagine having two wins over Jose Aldo on your resume. I mean, that's how you seal a legacy. That's how you say, I'm the best featherweight of all time. You go out there and you beat Jose Aldo twice. And if you can finish him this time, I mean, oh my God, the sky really is the limit. And then you look at the featherweight division. You look at guys like Frankie Edgar. You look at guys like Brian Ortega. Even the up-and-comers like Yair and Zabit. Even the up-and-comers like Calvin Cater and Shane Burgos. There's so much talent at 145. And we have a dominant king right now in Max Holloway. And if he wins this fight over the former dominant king, sky truly is the limit. So I can't wait to see what uh, Max Blessed Holloway does here against the legend Jose Aldo. Well, Shaq, we did it, man. It's going down this Saturday, UFC 218. I can't wait, man. You know, it's been a while since the last pay-per-view. Uh, this card is stacked, and uh, let's cash these bets, man. Yeah, man. You know, this card, uh, you know, hopefully we get the job done. I, I believe we will. I feel like uh, we'll cash these bets, but next week is it going to even be a better week. There's a lot of favorable matchups on that card, and uh, just follow me. MMA Genius 05. And uh, shout-out to our girl Yan Zone and throwing sidekicks to the face uh, yeah, you know, in the strawweight division. 10-unit you know? max play, easy money. Double. You know? You know, a double max, super max bet, you know what I'm saying? And uh, shout out to my girl Yanzel, man. I mean, that early uh, combo had us jumping up here at 5 a.m. in the morning and questioning life at the same time, and she got the job done. And I'll tell you this right now, when she does that to someone that's not Hawaiian, they this, will be knocked out. If, let's just say if that was Patreon Zan, Patreon Zan would get knocked out. <laughs> Indeed. Well, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the play. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Make sure you hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. I really appreciate the ones that have been coming through and hooked up a couple of our fans with some UFC 3 beta codes. For giving us those five-star reviews, we really appreciate it. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.